If you're listening for the first time, welcome. If you're back for more, thank you for continuing to support this project and being a part of it. If you're not yet a member of my email list, go to sarahmarshallnd.com to register. That will continue to be the hub of all new releases of podcasts, articles, and updates. As this project goes into its third year this June, I'm building a team to expand into more ways to support you on your healing journey, and my email list is the best way to do that. Go to my website, sarahmarshallnd.com to sign up. Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Dr. Jenny Tafinkian and I geek out on how to diagnose and heal chronic fatigue syndrome. Both of us have had and healed from this life-stopping illness and can speak clinically and personally about how this illness offers a powerful lesson in slowing down and self-love. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Oh, this is gonna be good. Oh my gosh. So I have my former professor and clinical doctor observer was one of the doctors I learned under in medical school, Dr. Jennifer Tafinkian here on heel. And I couldn't be more stoked to be getting to have this conversation with you being reconnected to you. And holy moly, like I, I think what happened is I started getting your newsletters and I was like, man, she is up to cool stuff. And then I tracked you for a while. Then I reached out to you and we just did a little email catch up. And then I was like, do you want to be on the podcast? And I had no idea how much we had in common. Both of us dealing with chronic fatigue, a lot of things we treat, like it's, this was definitely destiny. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm so stoked to be back with you. When you reached out, I'm like, oh, Sarah, like I loved working with you when we were in clinic. And it's just so cool that you've got this podcast and I love what you're creating here with Heal. It's very yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, good. So the audience now gets to get the behind the scenes. We were talking just a few minutes ago about like, well, what should we even t- like what we know we want to do this? Like, what do we want to <laughs> talk about? And I think, you know, so you're a naturopathic physician as well. You've been practicing how long? Over 20 years. Holy moly. That's I awesome. know I graduated in 2000. Yeah. How is I that? Know. How could I believe told? you've been been practicing for 20 years? What's that? How you believe you've been practicing for 20 years? It's just kind of wild. One of my, when I was, I was clinical faculty at the college for a long time. And I remember some of the, one of the residents came in and she said something to me and she said, yeah, you're old guard. And I was like, what? Like, how did that happen? Like, how did I become the old guard? I actually had this epiphany and I'm, you know, I'm now entering my 13th year of practice, but Around year nine, 10, I noticed when I would talk about myself and my practice, I still talked like I was a brand new doctor just out of school. And I sort of realized at a point, I'm like, so how many years do you have to be out until you at least stop acting like you're brand new at this? And I was like, okay, maybe I'll let that go. And so it's been this new shift into this period in my life. And like, some of where heal came from and the things that I'm up to in my practice now is like the first 10 years were a lot about just getting my feet on the ground. And can I even make this work? And like, how does it happen? To, I mean, cause we're not all naturopaths, but a lot of naturopaths get to live in these two worlds. It's not like we walked out and then immediately got picked up by a practice and walked into a job, mm-hmm. especially your generation, generation, mine, now there's more and more of that where new grads do get to walk into some pretty awesome job opportunities and go work for other people, but there were way less of them. So it was like, I also had to be a business owner immediately, Mm -hmm. like brand new doctor and also running a business and figuring all those things out. So like, yeah, it's now I'm looking to what are the next 10 years about and how can I make a bigger difference and how, what are the conversations I think that will make a difference out there in the world? And that was part of the birthplace of this podcast. Yeah, it's so great to share the information. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about confidence and work because I feel like I feel like there is always sort of that sense of I don't know anything, you know, I still need to figure this out. And there's there's both. There's a lot of confidence in some areas because yeah, you do you do just know so much more the more you practice. But that stuff just becomes wrote an automatic. And sometimes you don't even realize how much, you know, because at least for myself, 
I'm on to the question. I'm always on to the next thing that I can't quite figure out yet. Right. Like what's the next thing? Like what's that thing that I'm still trying to figure out, which is what I love about this work is that I get to be a forever student. (laughs) It's not boring (laughs) because there's always some new fascinating thing that I'm trying to sort out or there's some new scientific paper or research that now proves something that I experienced mm-hmm. in the process of healing, either in myself or with my patients. And I get to have this super exciting aha and geeky moment and sense of validation. <laughs> I've been a lot of that going on lately, especially yeah. like, do you follow or have read any of Gaber Mate's work? The physician, Hungarian physician. Oh my gosh. So Gaber Mate, which my audience has heard me talk about him a lot, is this extraordinary physician out of Canada. And he's done a ton of work around the origins of disease rooted in childhood trauma and emotional Mm -hmm. challenges and the relationship between stress and physiology, but not from like, but from a very detailed standpoint and some of the things that are starting to come out of that. Well, then I think back to my four years in medical school, I was always working with Dr. Heather's wiki in the research department. Mm -hmm. And I participated in a study in the area of psychoneuroimmunology, Mm -hmm. which is the scientific term for the mind body connection. And where does personality and health intersect? Like, is it a coincidence that type D personalities get these kinds of diseases and type A personalities get those and vice versa. And turns out, no, it's all related. And now where the research in psychoneuroimmunology is at is like my dad, I'm going to quote my dad, science, finally proving what common knowledge has known for hundreds of years, you know, (laughs) there's that, but it it is, it's really neat to actually start to see those things come together. And particularly an area that I want to talk with you about today, that's personal to me, turns out personal to you is chronic fatigue syndrome. Cause I, you know, there's always been a syndrome diagnosis or disease that I've known of that has been out on the edge that in the beginning, everyone says, oh, that's not a real thing that, you know, fibromyalgia was in that category for a long time, chronic fatigue syndrome. And I honestly experience a big shift in the conversation around CFS, chronic fatigue since COVID, because we are now it's common knowledge of long COVID and viruses instigating these long-term symptoms which we've been dealing with for many, 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 many years forever. Mm -hmm. And it's been not considered valid patients that deal with it, get often dismissed. Um, I found an amazing website that we'll make sure is in the show notes where they do a great article distinguishing depression from chronic fatigue, because a lot of people dealing with CFS, it's a little easy to just put them in the category of depression and put them on an antidepressant right? and not be dealing with the physiologic underpinnings of what their body's dealing with. Even people with bipolar, there can be these underlying crossovers inside of that with the flares and then the remissions and the downturns and the upturns and things like that. And you might have someone who's got a layered case, they're dealing with some depression and they Mm -hmm. also have CFS. So that gets Mm -hmm. really interesting. So I'm excited to dive into that. And you dealt with it yourself. I have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I crashed really hard actually in medical school. So it probably, so it would have been before I even met you that I had been really, really sick with it. And looking back, I actually think that I had some component of it for most of my life. Like, I think that I had a chronic viral piece for a very long time. And so, yeah, there's. So, anyway, so yes, I crashed hard in medical school and actually had to take a year out of, of school. Oh, wow. You took an entire year off. I did. I yeah. did. Yeah. 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 It's probably a whole story that you don't, may not know, but I, I was, I was, I had, I decided to become a doctor when I was six months pregnant with my first child and I was single and I had a busted up knee and I couldn't work as a baker anymore. And I had to like come home to my parents cause I had no money and <laughs> Like, you to be a doctor. Let's I'm pregnant. I'm broken. I love you. Uh, you know, <laughs> and went through this incredible healing. I know you've done a lot of work with, with Landmark. And I, my parents had, I had left my parents and had lived with them for years. And I, it was super independent person always. And I came back and 
they had done all this personal growth. They had found meditation and yoga and had, were doing a personal growth thing and paid for me to go through these personal growth workshops. So I went in there and I was the only person in the twenties, everybody else was in their forties and fifties. And I'm in there in my ragtag jeans. And I'm like, you know, but it was really great. And I broke through some of my own personal, you know, belief structures that were blocking me at that time. And I was pregnant and I had this huge epiphany that instead of having an abortion, I was going to have this baby and be a single mama. And then I had this huge epiphany that I'd always wanted to become a doctor, but I didn't think I was smart enough mm. because I didn't do well in a class, one class in high school. <laughs> and, you know, and that's how that happens. Yep. Right? You know? And so I, anyway, so I went, ended up going to school as a single mom to do my pre-med. Wow. And then I got back together with his dad and, and went to medical school, started medical school. And he was three, decided to have another kid after second year, figuring I was super mom, got pregnant, had a miscarriage, and then got pregnant again, and then had a second miscarriage at 17 weeks and hemorrhaged and passed out and all that. It was bad. It was pretty bad. And that entered me into a dark night of the soul. And this is where your program, where you talk about heal. Like this was a universal slam dunk for Jenny to just like, I really had to go deep and went through huge. I I mean, I literally couldn't do anything. I was literally stuck in bed. I I, I was just staring at the ceiling. I had people come and put IVs in me and I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was really terrified. So that was a very, very severe breakdown. In the old days, it would have been a nervous breakdown. You know, I would have, if I hadn't had this amazing understanding family and team of naturopathic doctors and friends who were in school coming and holding space for me to to go on this journey. That's literally what they did. It's like they held space for me and my family for me to just go on this journey. I would have been locked up somewhere, you know, I mean, it's, it was literally, I lost it and needed to find my way back. And because of our pre-conversation and what you talked about with your healing, can we jump into this energetic piece here? because I know you're open to that. And I ended up the, my, clearly I was very, I was suicidally depressed and I had severe anxiety and I would close my eyes and I would see this dark shadow and it freaked me out. And I couldn't, I couldn't be there. I couldn't be in that space. We knew we needed to get me a therapist. So my husband pre-interviewed some people. And then I interviewed some people with the energy I had, which wasn't much ended up choosing this woman who was a hypnotherapist and she came to my house because I couldn't get in a car and we did deep therapy and ended up doing all this huge, massive past life work. And mm. that was huge for me and realized how much past life and generational stuff was in my body. Yeah. And that that's a lot of what I needed to release at that time and, and clear out. And then I was able to start working on the physical body. I love that you bring that up because actually that is one of the things that's showing up um, in the sociology studies and the way they say it, because they won't quite say past life is ancestral trauma. Right. And we actually have cold, hard science in epigenetics that relates ancestral trauma to gene expression and how our bodies evolve into different disease states. And so whatever the language is that we use around it, you know, and I don't even get hung up on past life regressions as quote, the truth or real. It's that there's energetic patterns and there's these tendencies that can show up and they are reproducible and they do show up in a particular way. And then that process of healing and like, you know, I never will come to any conversation around disease as saying that it's that we did it to ourselves or it's blame, Mm -hmm. or you brought this upon yourself. That's, that's not at all where I'm coming from, but I think there's a place where we do ourselves a disservice to acknowledge and recognize the systemic factors that did culminate into this moment called a physical crisis of not being able to get out of bed and, and whatever that might be manifesting symptom, symptomized symptomatically. Yeah. There's a word. I am a doctor. I swear is like, what if this disease is more of a gift than a breakdown? What if this moment in time of a physical issue, and and I'll I'll speak for myself that that's what I've looked at my own 
issues when I had chronic fatigue last year, which I'm like not even at a year anniversary of being out of the physical symptoms. That'll be in August of this year is like very quickly. And I think it was because of how much personal growth work and spiritual work I'd already done up to that point Mm -hmm. when it became crystal clear from, you know, I had high levels of titers for Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus. I was dealing with both. I was a normal, normal anemic. So we kept missing it, but I actually had both B12 and iron deficiency causing anemia. So my Mm -hmm. red blood cells were small ish, but basically looked normal. And basically there was, it was like this whole thing that we had to uncover. There was iron deficiency, anemia, B12 anemia, and then whatever else in my system, we didn't chase too much of the lab rabbit at that point, once we kind of were honed in and even my thyroid was off. And so I got it backed up from there. And when that clicked in, it was like, oh yeah, this was the universe telling me I have to slow down. Mm -hmm. And when I quickly started to recontextualize it, I'm pretty sure that CFS was the only way I was going to ever stop my addiction to being busy and being a workaholic. And it was an addiction and it was nourishing something and it was feeding something. And it was also keeping some things at bay. And part of why I didn't want to slow down was the emotional component. When I slowed all the way down and life got really simple and still this backlog of anxiety and sadness and upset at the way my life was, was all there. I mean, and you know, don't worry guys, none of this is actually happening now at all. And even then I knew I wasn't going to do it, but I questioned completing my practice. I thought about changing careers. I looked at just like, was I literally no longer in alignment with the life that I wanted to be living? Like I reevaluated all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then coming out of it on the other side, there has been this like unmessable, unwilling to compromise conviction about things in my life. Like if something takes a lot of my energy and it's not actually what my soul and my spirit are committed to, I just won't do it. Like I have a much higher filter and, and like lower tolerance to things, you know, and I just have much clearer boundaries and my clarity of purpose and my clarity of what I'm here for and what I do want to do and what I don't want to do even around my business and practice management and how I want to operate is just like massively tightened up and gotten focused. And I, I say by a matter of creation and declaration that the viral component plus the other physiologic things going on in my body was my body teaching me this lesson. And when I came into congruence with it, what I get is a more authentic self-expression on the other side. And I personally don't think that's unique to me in disease. Yeah, no, it's very beautiful hearing your story and explaining that. I think that I do think that a lot of our illnesses and hardships are teachers and lessons. And there's good things that we can get out of that. I have two things I want to say to that. One Great. is that, that we, I be, I always believe out of a hard situation, there's a gift for something. I also personally believe, and I say this all out there all the time, that I do believe that chronic fatigue leads to unnecessary suffering. Like some of that mm. suffering is sort of like the sand that helps shine the pearl, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and so for me in that experience, that dark night of the soul, I really needed that at that time. Like I was 30 in my thirties, there was just a lot of shit, excuse me, that I just hadn't taken the time to really get into in a deep way. And I find that people around their late twenties, early thirties, there's usually some kind of something that shows up and it's an opportunity in a window to rearrange yourself, to like, get rid of baggage family story stuff, you know, whatever stuff there is emotionally, physically, there's a shift that happens. It's like that vitality that we talk about in drainage from that, you know, that, that youth, early teen 20, kind of that rump vitality, it begins to fade at that late 20, early 30 window and old things come up to roost. And, but I see it as a window to look in. And I really believe that when we address that holistically, like, we practice from the Mm -hmm. mental, emotional and the physical and the lifestyle, like put it all together, then you're really setting yourself up so much better for the next section of your life. Right. And then for women, it tends to hit again 
with either childbearing or something around their kids can trigger stuff. And then of course, perimenopause is sort of what I see in terms of these bigger cycles and patterns that we go through in our life. So I'm totally down with the healing part, but then again, there's this unnecessary suffering (laughs) with chronic fatigue because I feel like people have it for too long because A, they're like both you and I, I was in total denial that this was what was happening to me. I didn't want that label. I was like, no, 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 no. And when I've been flirting with relapse, I still notice my resistance to being like, no, 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 that can't be it. <laughs> you know? And that's coming from a really strong knowledge base and a community of people around us that even recognize it. So then if you don't have any of that around you, yeah. and I do, you, I'm sure you've seen it. I've had patients and clients who come to me eight years in. Oh yeah. 10. Yeah. And I'm 15. like, oh my gosh. Right. All right. Like, for me, it was like from peak symptoms to diagnosis was three months. Uh, yeah, you know, right. That's unheard of for most right. people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what it should be. Like, yeah. that's yeah. my mission. Like, I feel like both the, the general public needs to understand this and acknowledge it. And physicians need to understand it and have some more understanding of how to treat it. Not not push it away, not deny it. Both practitioners do that and people yeah. are experiencing do it and have a really constructive process to be able to assess what is going on. Because again, like, yeah, your story of like, I mean, for you to say I had it last year and I don't have it anymore. That's really yeah. rare. Yeah. It yeah. really is. I had a patient that I just started working with. She's been really sick for 10 years and has seen tons of physicians and keeps getting told there's nothing we can do. Like, it's just yeah. like, oh my, I just like, that's so not true. Yeah. 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 So this brings up a really good question. Cause I, I think like it is misunderstood and hard to understand and diagnose because there yeah. are so much, you know, there's so many overlaps between am I just depressed and lethargic and I'm just dealing with emotional stuff because there was a lot of emotional stuff for me happening during CFS. And it was my physician, my naturopath who actually helped me understand the brain inflammation that is actually physical was a big component of how my emotions were. Also my body was so fatigued. Like, I mean, any of you guys are listening, you got kiddos. What are their emotions like when they're exhausted? right? When they've gone yeah. too far and they've gone past that point, their emotional space. So I was living in that a lot of the time, like 80% yeah. of the time where yeah. I was just beyond my limits energetically. And so then I didn't have my access to my usual, what I would call kind of my big self where I can like hear and understand the other person's perspective. Like, no, I was like, <laughs> like all the time. Yeah. So one of the things that comes up for me, cause we're starting to see more conversations out in the world about burnout, mm-hmm. but I could see that being another place where there can be a lot of confusion. Oh, I'm just burned out. I know. So yeah. what would you give as like, how do we d- differentiate this? What should people do? What should they be looking for? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think burnout is real and there's different kinds of burnout and then, but I see burnout is there's such vague terms in some parts of the country. Chronic fatigue is called burnout. Like in Sweden, it's what burnt chronic fatigue is called burn. That's the same thing. So it makes it very confusing as we have more and more literature that's on an international basis. And we're trying to use terms across around the globe in the medical community. I think burnout is, it's definitely a gateway to chronic fatigue. If you're experiencing burnout, I think you need to I think it's smart to work with somebody who works with chronic fatigue and have them help assess as to whether it's possible that you actually have chronic fatigue. And the reason I say that is that I, from my perspective and what I've come to discover, and I'm super curious about your heel system because I'm like, like, where are we here with our things? But when I, what I discovered in my journey of having chronic fatigue and healing from it, and well, actually, I'm just like, I had the chronic fatigue that time and I got all the way better from in medical school. So when you knew me, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like I've got a kid and I'm teaching, I've got a clinic and I'm like, yeah, no problem. And, but then I ended up having an, an injury, severe pain, couldn't sleep. And I relapsed really fast yeah. and it was so fast. 
and it was terrifying. And I was afraid I was going to end up back in bed. And that's when I really had to put on my thinking hat and figure out how do I heal this? Because the stuff I did 17 years before wasn't working. It wasn't enough. And so it was something else. And so I had to figure out like, how do you find the way out of chronic fatigue? And I was really looking at bankruptcy because I couldn't, if I couldn't work, it was bankruptcy and bringing my whole family down or healing. And it was, Mm -hmm. and I really had that choice. That was sort of my choice at that time. And so I ended up doing a bunch of research and figuring out some pieces. And then I started having tons and tons of patients coming to me and was able to really see this pattern and the pattern that I saw with chronic fatigue, there's largely five different root causes of chronic fatigue and they all interact with each other. And so it makes it a really much more simple way to begin to think like, okay, what do I, you know, which root causes are affecting this you know, this me, you know, you know, and the other thing that I could really see is that partly due to how the brain works and how the body works, once you've had chronic fatigue, you're always at risk for relapse, which is why I see it more as like, um, it's a really, it's a, we're looking for permanent remission is what we're looking for. And that, you know, just to tighten up my speaking, when I say I had it and I'm done with it, that's actually a lot of my declaration. Uh-huh. But what I also say and, and live is I have to be responsible for right. that. That is a possibility in my life all the time. Right. Right. So I, what I don't get to do is go back to the way I was living my life before. I will never right. do that again. And right. I've had many people from different areas that, you know, I'm one of those personalities that my normal work level is what other people would say would be the work of three people. Right a 10 hour day was just getting me started. Yeah. Right. And I was running my practice and I was coaching programs full-time for landmark. And then I was also having a very active travel filled social life. And like, it was very common for me. I remember a conversation I had with my sister one time. I, I get way into statistics and I track a lot of things to just keep me Mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my sister and I was like, you know, people always give me a hard time about not taking a lot of vacation time. But I was like, I went through, I added it all up. I looked at how many days I worked and how many days I was, you know, coaching programs. And, and, and I took like, I don't know, a hundred days off last year. Like who takes a hundred days off? And my sister goes, did you count weekends? (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? Did I count weekends? She goes a hundred days. There's 52 weeks in a year. That's 104 Saturdays and Sundays, weekend days. Did you count weekends? And I was like, No, it's literally, I had just gotten to the level of taking 104 days, not work or do something. So I was just at the basic level of 52 weeks of work and weekends, right? Like, which was an improvement. So like, I don't, that's that she and the underlying proving myself to the world, having to make sure you knew how big and important and capable I was. That's the other half of the work that I half, whatever, can't put a percentage on it. That's part of the other work that I did. So I declare myself free of, you know, for me, I think there was a strong, I'm probably virus is one of your five root causes and it's not the only one. And we have a tendency to put all of the emphasis because it's like, oh, that fits into our you know, medical model of right. a bug is causing a disease. Right. Right. Let's kill In it. In my yeah. case, I know that was a component and there were other components around emotional stresses and family stresses and things like that. But I can feel in my body that the virus that was doing what it was doing before isn't doing that anymore. Like yeah. I can tell by yeah. the way that I sleep and how I feel, how my brain functions, like that those physical things aren't happening. But then I do notice in the last eight or nine months, like I had a particularly big day on Monday where I did a lot of critical thinking and work Mm -hmm. and it was fine. Mm -hmm. And then Tuesday I got five hours. I had five hours. I could do a lot of work and I was done. My brain was like, we're done. It's like, I spent my energetic resources and I had to now refill my cup. Yep. And that'll be a future conversation between you and I, because I can tell I'm only to that level and that there's yes. likely other levels to go from here. Yes. So I'm still responsible for and managing it. I just don't deal with the acute flare experience of CFS like I had it before. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that makes a lot of sense in terms of, of what you're saying. And I appreciate the declaration for sure, which is really important for that limbic brain to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I'm also not psyching myself out or pretending something is, is I'm not like, you know, pretending it's a different way than it is. So if we look at those, would you be willing to speak to those five root causes? Sure. What you see? Yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah. yeah. Happy to for sure. Yeah. So, so I always say there's the five root causes and then there are the four health foundations. And so when you're looking at your own health, it's really important to be looking at both of those. And for practitioners, I love guiding and teaching them how to look at these because I find that so many doctors are just freaking overwhelmed often with chronic fatigue. They, you know, they don't quite know how to address it. So the four health foundations are, you know, number one is digestion detoxification, which I know you're like, I'm smiling because we know how important this is. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Digestion detoxification. And then there's rhythm and sleep, Mm. which I put together as like the circadian rhythm, the sleep, the importance of all of that, like just sort of getting that whole HPA piece in place for people. And then there is movement and breath. And then there's, and then there's mindset and spirit. And those to me are the health foundations. Now, since the, since the lockdown pandemic and seeing people struggling with being away, being disconnected, I've almost thought like, is there like this fifth pillar or there's the thing in between that should be connection that kind of comes all the way up between those. Like you can almost see the image of the pillars and this thing called connection and that being connection to community, to your spirit, to your inner self, to, you know, like, like that's just so important. Like we've really seen how hard it is to get disconnected. We're such social beings, even even people who are introverts like I am, it's like, I need that, you know, I need that. And so I've almost thought about kind of putting that in, but that said, those are the health foundations. And I usually find that we, usually there's a health foundation that really needs to be shored up so that when you're addressing the root causes, it works better. So it's like, you have to have the health foundations, be working on those, as you know, preaching to the choir here. So the root causes are definitely one is chronic infection for sure. Mm-hmm. So chronic infection, mitochondrial dysfunction, toxic overload, hormonal piece. So that hormone triangle, thyroid, adrenal, ovary, Ovaries, that piece. Yeah. Yep. And then the fifth is really the limbic emotional piece. And so those are the, so those are the different ones. And, and I know you can already start thinking and seeing how they're so interconnected. Yeah, but it really, there really are things that I've come to discover that I can be listening for and that I can teach people to listen for in their own bodies so that they can know which one of the root causes is the most dominant is the one that if we can address this one, then it's likely going to support the other ones for you. It was clearly viral piece. Now, if you have a chronic virus and your mitochondria are messed up because the virus takes over the mitochondria. Right. And then right. there was like, you know, inability to process toxins as efficiently because my body is depleted in resources. And when I look from a causal standpoint, yeah. the cause was the emotional limbic system. And then right. that depleted my immune system's ability to keep the Epstein-Barr virus, which I already had in my system because I had mono exactly. when I was 14 it got liberated. And so, cause you know, the, what actually happened was the pandemic hit, we started lockdowns mid-March, my sister and her partners got incredibly sick with COVID in the first two weeks that I even knew that the pandemic existed. And I started managing oh, their care wow. and they had between the three of them, there was daily fevers for five weeks. Yeah. They finally all had broken their fever and all of them were on the upswing. And the very next day, my mom got COVID. And she was sick for seven weeks. And at that point in time, like there was no general healthcare practitioners managing anything. And so I was doing the best I could with my family members inside of a conversation of fear and the button that it hit for me, which is core to my own personality. I have a life or death thing in my personality. Like, Mm -hmm. like I've done a lot of work around it, but if I make mistakes, somebody will, Mm -hmm. somehow I invented that as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like that's how high the stakes are. And so I had put so much pressure on myself. Then I've got all my clients asking me, what is this thing? And oh my God, and what do we need to do? And like my responsibility, like weight of the world on my shoulders just exploded. Right. No kidding. That was March, April. My mom starts getting better in May. And as soon as my body knew that the threat, because my family members were healthy, was going away, I got sick. 
Oh, for sure. Like instantly. It was cortisol like, goes down. cortisol goes down. Cortisol <laughs> after that stress response yep. goes down and yep. EBB is like, we are so ready to party. Yeah. May, June, <laughs> it all tanked. And then it wasn't until the beginning of July that I literally couldn't scrape myself off the floor. And I just, oh. and, and the workaholic, the only way I knew I was sick was because I actually couldn't work. Wow. And when that happened, that was the thing that alerted all of the alarms and I started right. getting into, but then I was lucky in that I live in this. I went to an applied kinesiology chiropractor who did muscle yeah. testing. He's the first mm-hmm. one that found the Epstein bar. Mm-hmm. And then we backed it up with lab testing through my naturopathic physician. Mm-hmm. And I had this amazing support network of physicians that knew to go there and knew to think about this right off yeah. the get-go. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now I get to be that you get to be that more and more for our clients and our patients who come in with this. My doctors say that everything's normal, but I don't feel anything like myself Yeah. to, right. you know, they know something's not normal and everything under the sun is going into breakdown and they have no answers for me other than pain meds, muscle relaxants, Cymbalta, you know, working on that side of it. And most of that can sometimes make things worse. Yeah. Know, sure can, for sure. yeah. yeah. So I'm curious about, and I'm trying not to get this too technical, but I can't help it. My, my clinical brain is like, I'm curious why you actually have mitochondrial dysfunction on the list of core, like in an, in its own category. Cause I see so much of the mitochondrial dysfunction is the the result of other things being out of balance. But I think you have some ways of looking at that different than I've been taught. So tell me about the mitochondrial dysfunction. Cause I also think that's something most people don't even know about. Yeah. Right. So the mitochondria, I mean, I kind of, I love the mitochondria. I sort of secretly, I totally geek out on them. I get very excited just talking about <laughs> yes. them. I really like, if you come to any of my talks about mitochondria, I'm just like, I'm so in there. Like, ah, you know, I really love them. I don't know why they're just something super cool about it. Uh, actually. Yeah. So actually maybe it's because when I was little, I, my dad, my dad was a minister and I remember him coming into tuck me into bed when I was four or five and asking me where we thought we came from. And I remember having this vision of this egg or the cell rolling up onto the beach. And I thought that's where we came from. And then later I was doing research. I'm like, I was like, wait a second. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like it's that awesome. yep. thing that came out of the water and, like, and like, made us who we are and energized our bodies. Yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway, so the mitochondria, so why do I put it separate? Because I find when I'm taking my history, not all people with chronic fatigue have post-exertional malaise. Yeah. And I think post-exertional malaise is a sign of mitochondrial fatigue and it helps me separate. It lets me know that their mitochondria are being really impacted. Now, again, everybody's mitochondria at some level, whether it's a viral infect, if they have a viral infection, it's being affected. If they're toxic, it's affected. I mean, clearly it, you know, the limbic system relates to the mitochondria, the mitochondria cell, the send out the cell danger response. And that triggers a whole reaction that then gets picked up through the vagus nerve and goes up to the limbic brain and tells the limbic brain all is not well. So there's clearly relationships with all of the root causes with the mitochondria. But the reason I separate it out is because clinically I find that people who who talk to me and I hear them talking and I ask questions about their energy and if they get post-exertional malaise, there's enough of them that I can then move on and do a clinical trial of doing a supplementation process and give them a week. And, um, and 50 to 75% of them, it's actually probably more than it's probably, it's really, I don't, I don't really have the actual numbers. I shouldn't make them up, but there's a, there's enough people that go from feeling like crap to being able to function incredibly well in five days right. when they treat their mitochondria. Yeah. But to me, that's great because yeah. as you know, that means that, oh my God, now I have energy to fix the food I need to fix. To do the bigger stuff. Yeah, I exactly. have the energy to do the emotional processing I need to do. I have the energy to feel like I'm going to get my life back and I get some freaking hope, Yeah, you know? And so, and, and again, this was part of my journey. Cause when I was sick that second time with like, I got, 
I injured my knee and then I insisted like total workaholic with you. I'm so with you there. I injured my knee, but I had been in more best physical shape I'd ever been in my life. Like I was so fit. I loved it. I was throwing metal around the gym. There was no way I wanted to lose all that, even though my knee was all bunged up. So I kept working out my upper, I'm like, great, great time for upper body and core work. So I did upper body and core and I'm in the pool and I'm not using my knee, but I'm just like doing upper body stuff and I'm lifting and I'm doing all this upper body core stuff. And then <laughs> I get a tweak in my shoulder one morning. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. It'll just come out. I'm 24 years old. I'll just keep swimming on it. I'll just keep swimming. I'll keep pushing. I'll keep doing my thing. <laughs> it's worse and worse and worse frozen shoulder. So yeah. I got a really bad case of frozen shoulder to the point where I could not sleep more than 45 minutes because the pain was so severe. So your, your body was talking to you and it was like, <laughs> if she doesn't get the message, I'm going to send her another one. Okay. I'm going to send her another <laughs> one. Yeah. And I was living in a really moldy house. And so that was the other thing that was going on. So anyway, so that, yeah, the mold is part of the toxic piece. That's huge for people, mold, heavy metals, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, mold can be huge and affects the mitochondria, but so I was doing research and I, I was going down all these different trails on PubMed or reading books, talking to experts, really trying to figure out what it was. And I read, I ordered Sarah Myhill's book from Britain on the mitochondria. And she talks so much about the mitochondria and how that was it for chronic fatigue. And so I tried her protocols and this, you know, the story I talk about when I discovered this for myself personally was I was like, okay, yeah, it seems like I have mitochondrial dysfunction. Okay. Let me try this. Let me try taking all these different supplements at these really high doses. And there was a weekend workshop I really wanted to do with Dallas Karazian here in Portland. Yep. Three days at a hotel. I couldn't go. I was too tired. Like, even if I took my blankie and my slate on the back of the floor in the back of the room with my pillow and my blanket, which I've done, yep. like, you know, there was just no way I could get myself there. And I was bummed, you know, like I really wanted to do this thing, but I was too tired. So then it turns out we ended up having company come that weekend. Anyway, I'd been doing that protocol for five days when the company arrived, they wanted to go hike on Mount hood on this hike called Tilly Jane. I was like, I actually think I can go. I mean, take my blanket, my books and my art, and I'll just go hang out in the car, but I'll drive up to the mountain with them. We get up there. I'm like, I think I'm going to walk, but I won't go very far. I ended up walking three or four miles. And then I came back to the car and it was late and I was like, oh no, I'm going to crash. I'm going to be in bed for like <laughs> so two days after this. Week. this. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to be so in bed for this. Like, I don't, oh my God. And so, but I had the, I had the, I was taking D-ribose and I had this D-ribose and I like, like a, like an addict, I'm like hitting the D-ribose at the car, you know, I'm in the boot of the car taking some more D-ribose after I hike. And then we take a long drive home. We get home at midnight. I'm never up till midnight. And I go to bed and the next day I'm fine. What? I'm totally fine. Yeah. And for comparison, having been through it myself, like, I mean, there would be times when I first did start to feel like I even could go walking again, I'd go out for like three quarters of a mile. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, and then right. I'd get home and I'd be toast, you know? And yeah. then there were times where like something social or something was going on and I'd know like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And I'm, and, and when there was enough going on around me or I was having a lot of fun or I had, you know, I, I it's like some other part of me kind of woke up and I was able to actually physically do some things, but it would cost me. I mean, I'd right. be down for the count for days and it was normal for me to sleep 10 hours a night. And then yeah. there'd be other times where I would sleep 10 hours and then literally be out of bed, maybe four or five hours in a day. Wow. And I did work all the way through because I didn't have myself set up in any way. And actually had, I had conversations with my physicians about, you know, I remember actually our mutual relation to Dr. Tom, who's my mentor and physician. And I was like, look, I'll take three months off. I'll just totally clear my schedule and, and I'll just like, I'll just, I'll handle all my wellness and I'll just, you know, I'll, basically what I want to say is I'll hit it hard. I'll like, I'll heal so hard. I'll just totally <laughs> take this on. And he just laughed just like that. And he said, you will not take three months off. And I was like, really? You don't want me to do that? And he goes, oh no, this is going to take way longer than three months. I can see him saying that. And he it. said, you need to reduce all activity in every area of your life by two thirds. Uh-huh. That was the prescription. Uh-huh. I couldn't go to zero. I had to yeah. just change the whole makeup of my life down. Yeah. 
And it took me two months to make that transition. And I had a bunch of support, which I'm super grateful for. The partner I was with at the time literally handled all the food, all of the household stuff would put food down in front of me. And there was like a few moments where like, I couldn't even, it was decision-making fatigue. Like I couldn't, he'd be like, well, what do you want for breakfast? And I'd like bite his head off. I'm like, what do you mean? What do I have? The last thing I can do is make a decision about breakfast. You know, that was like where it would get to. So when I'd have a good moment, I made him a list and like wrote a menu. I was like, these are three things you can feed me for breakfast. These are three things for lunch. These are things for dinner. Repeat for as long as you want to. And then he just would. Right. And like all those other things would get handled. So that, that story you share of being able to not only go for a drive, be out of your home environment, walk four miles, come home late. And the next day you're fine. I'm like, oh yeah, that hit the nail on the head. So I can get why then you're like, there's something here. We need to explore right. more about this. Yeah, exactly. And so that's so for, you know, cause I really, again, I created all this first as heal thyself, heal all these patients that were coming to me in droves and seeing where I can reproduce this and it started to be reproducible. And so it's a really good it's a really good clinical, it's a really good trial, you know, to try for somebody to see if that hits. And then my experience is that if that protocol doesn't work, it's two things. It's either the mitochondria is not a really big thing. You know, you're wrong, right. As a clinician or, or, you know, somebody investigating on their own health or two, which is more likely the mitochondria are gummed up, you know, they can't receive this energy. They're too gummed up. And it's, I find it's usually heavy metals, and there's a whole, this yep. is where I can get out say talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They really, they really go into the mitochondria. And I just recently this, this past week, I was really looking at a whole bunch of papers about how, how much, how all the different ways that viruses go into the mitochondria and actually just really get in there and wreak havoc with, you know, the interferon signaling and the, and the, you know, and there, and the whole cellular metabolism and all that kind of stuff. So you know, my hunch is that for you, that your fatigue, of course, like I said, you had a mitochondrial component, but it was yep. secondary to the virus. And yep. so yep. treating the virus. And again, so that's why when I talk about the root causes, I find most people out of the five have two to three, some have all five, yep. some may just have one. And it's usually either that situation where you're catching them early or it's, or it's a situation like you were talking about where you have somebody who's already seen five really good functional medicine doctors and they've already addressed all the other ones, but they missed this one. Well, and I had spent 15 years since I started naturopathic medical school, improving my vitality, reversing my history of chronic illness from my childhood. And so I was already starting on a pretty amazing high level platform. Exactly. And that's usually not the case for most people. Although I've been shifting, not shifting, but I've, I've had more and more doctors and clinicians coming to work with me as patients that they aren't, haven't been finding another, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to, to be a clinician. And then <clears throat> I have really high standards of who I'll work with. And so like, I don't want to work with just anybody. And so I've recently had several clinicians come to work with me. And that's the other group of people that I do find where, okay, there's a baseline level of wellness that's working really well for them. But then there's these other propensities that they either aren't in a full blown, like their life isn't falling apart yet. but that I can see the keynotes, which is the other thing I like about this is to be able to look at it from the perspective of, because there's personality types and there's people that you can kind of predict that like, okay, if you keep going in the direction you're going, this is like where you're heading and to be able to head some things off of the pass in that way. I do have another question that came up for me because you mentioned mold and I have talked to some clinicians where they separate the two apart where mold's over here and chronic fatigue is over here. And then the other one that I think was came from my training and development as a, as a naturopath, and this was fading out when I was going through school, but for at least two decades, there was a huge conversation of adrenal fatigue, yeah. which we've now upgraded that into hypopituitary thalamic axis imbalance, which is kind of a mouthful or HPA axis imbalance, but it's more clinically accurate to say, mm-hmm the brain adrenal cortisol connection and the loop between those. Right. Right. But now when I look at, you know, and what I noticed as a clinician is I dutifully got out of school and treated all these people with adrenal fatigue. And it was like, as long as their diet was perfect and they slept eight and a half hours a night 
and mm-hmm. we kept them on these supplements, they could function pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it even occurred to me back then before I had studied a lot of these other things that I was clearly missing something. Right. That adrenal fatigue was like in the middle. It wasn't a root cause. It was yeah. a result of something because no matter how much I treated it, it wasn't going anywhere. And I'd have mm-hmm. some, some clients that literally it was like, we focused on adrenal health. We focused on adrenal health and adrenal health kind of became the, and then now, now we've discovered it's either devolved into autoimmune disease, or there was an underlying undiagnosed autoimmune disease, or that there's more of a CFS picture that I can see much more clearly now than I did six years ago. So would you speak to that, like differentiating adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction from CFS, or is it like, where does it fit in all of this? Yeah. Again, I would say, and I, this kind of comes back to your original question about burnout, you know, how does, what is burnout and CFS like? Because I think that when you talk about burnout, it's really people talking about being overstressed, like that whole stress response system has broken. And there's now there's, there's compassion fatigue for people who are just, you know, dealing with people who are in um, crisis all the time. And there's, there's a compassion fatigue kind of burnout, which I would say that kind of burnout is slightly different from more of a general burnout, but they're, they're right next to each other and they can easily blend into each other. So I think the compassion fatigue is really about, you know, you're just too in this space and you need to work on your boundaries and your, and your, you know, your energy, you know, belief system and all of that kind of stuff to kind of give yourself some space there. But the people who are experiencing burnout, like so many are from these past years of just the ongoing stress, like there's, there's, we've all, everybody in the planet has experienced way more stress the last couple of years because of, of, you know, there's been this thing that we don't have control over, right? There's this, it's like this level of unknowingness has gone to this 10 X level, which just creates a lot of physiological stress. We all of a sudden feel like prey, you know, we're, you know, potentially could be taken down. And so I think that this creates a stress response that leads to what we used to call adrenal fatigue, you know, where people's HPA axis gets off. And then of course that connects in with, okay, so what's your emotional response to stress? You know, do you start drinking too much? Do you start eating things that aren't necessarily so great for your belly and you get massive dysbiosis? Do you start staying up all night, binge watching Netflix because you can't stand your life and you need to live in somebody else's life? Or do you, you run know, like six miles a day and right. 15 on the weekends? Or did yeah. you decide to join a marathon and yeah. now you're a marathon runner and you're like, or, you know, honestly, I worked my way through it, you know, like I, you know, I did, I totally was like, okay, I got this. It's going to be two years. This is going to be a great time for me to get all this stuff done. And so like you, my first year of the pandemic weekends, like there was no, I mean, like Mm -mm. what's like, I was just like, you know, so, so, so I think that the HPA is, I really feel like people who have HPA dysfunction, I call it the gateway it's like the gateway root cause. When yep. I talk about that hormone triangle, it's the gateway root cause yep. because if it's not, if it's not addressed fast, it sets you up to be in this more entrenched fatigue and stress response, which then easily triggers a lot of the other root causes, such as makes you really vulnerable, like it happened to you to having your, whatever latent virus happens to be hanging out in your body. And we all have them. Yep explode, you know, um, or it makes, or it can trigger, go into the limbic brain, you know, dysfunction. You can start getting into your, if you have a tendency towards an Eeyore brain, you know, negative thinking that's going to start coming up because you're tired and you're fried. And so then you start, you know, having a lot more verbal self-abuse that, (laughs) that then triggers, you know, different physiological reactions in the body. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. And I appreciate the audience hanging in there because I realize like I am totally geeking out getting to talk to one of my former teachers because I'm like, ah, filling in all the gaps. And I've like got all these questions. But I I also think it's important for us to start to have more complex conversations about it than leave it in the wastebasket basket terminology. And like you said, where terms get collapsed with each other and we don't bring precision into the conversation. And for a lot of people, then that is how they get lost in the there's nothing quote really wrong with you. You're just, I mean, I, 
bless her heart. I literally had a client who came to me exhausted with multiple really inappropriate injuries for the amount of, of physical activity and stress she was putting on her body. Mm -hmm. Like she'd had many surgeries, blew a shoulder, blew a knee, blew another shoulder, blew. And it was like, okay, that's that, that also looked to me. I see that. I see HPA axis dysfunction. I see, you know, cortisol mismanagement in the body that somebody's getting so easily injured in their joints right. without it really making sense with the amount, you know, and like point blank, one of her physicians had said to her, well, how many kids do you have? And she said three. And he goes, well, that's where you're tired. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so we need distinction. We need precision. We need the clinical aspects coming through, pull from the research, feed into the research. And I mean, it'll be validating in its job security for you and I, but the next 20 years, Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there will be a literal flood they're already starting, it is starting to be a flood of people dealing with long COVID and um, yeah. post COVID syndrome. And then what will become, you know, and, and whether it's even the virus COVID that's causing it, it can be the pandemic. Like that's also going to be a component in this. And that's another thing that's out there is there will be a lot of people dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome and they maybe didn't have COVID or they were vaccinated right. the entire time. That doesn't right. disqualify them for that. It was the, it's the state of the pandemic and the way 100%. that it can be impacting these other components. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, absolutely. No. Yeah. I did actually did a talk right as the pandemic was starting for chronic fatigue fibromyalgia day. And I was like, it's, we're going to have an uptick because yeah. CFS is triggered by stress and is triggered by viruses along with other things, but you, but those two things are going to be in even people spending more time in toxic homes. Like there I've had some clients come in that were like, I've never had this issue before, but now I work from home and my allergies are just on fire. And I'm like, you've got mold in your house. Right. You know, and that they just had enough time away from their home. Most of the time that it kind of kept it at this low level that just looked like seasonal allergies all the time. Yeah. And now that they're home 24 seven, they actually realize there's a bigger issue, you know? So there's yeah. been all kinds of things that have shifted in these last yeah. few years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But just back to your point around being able to identify it. I think that there's a tendency in our culture. I think it's more with women than men of this is whatever I'm experiencing first is my fault. Mm-hmm. And I just need, if I could just do this one thing, then I'll be better. If I could just get myself to the gym, then I'd have more energy. If I could just get myself to stop eating or drinking this thing, then, or that I know what I need to do. I just am not doing it. Therefore right. I'm going to continue to suffer. Exactly. Therefore I'm going to continue to stay in the state, not seek help because I know it's my fault and I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just not doing it. Yeah. And so therefore I'm not going to go. And then they get really worried and they go to their primary care and their primary care runs tests and says, Oh, you're all fine. They say, see, I know it's fine. I really do need to do that one thing. And it's, and I always say, keep, if you don't, if you don't have the motivation to do the things that you want to do, that's the time to reach out for help. I mean, maybe it is a coach that you need, you know, maybe it is a mental, emotional thing, but there's something there. Like if you're not able to manifest the life that you want to be living, then that's the time to reach out for help and to keep knocking on doors until you get your questions answered. It's like, always have hope. There's, I believe there's always hope. (laughs) I just believe that. And that we just need to keep knocking on doors, asking questions and seeking the support that we, that we need to get to that next place of learning and growth and development for ourselves and healing. That's, that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> it's like I was one of your students or something. <laughs> this has been so awesome. And I definitely am already like, oh my God, part two, I could keep talking to you get way further into this, but I just really appreciate this conversation for a lot of reasons. And I do think it's really important and to be able to keep sharing this and keep having it out there for practitioners and for people alike. And there's likely people in your life for people who are listening that you're like, Oh, I have this friend or I have a partner or I have a family member that, you know, we've always just chalked it up to they're depressed or we've chalked it up to the stress at their job. And And the thing, and this is like me as the preventative doctor, and then we'll kind of close here is like, so what if that is quote, all it is, 
If you don't do something about that, if you don't proactively work on bringing yourself back into balance, guess what that'll become in 20 years? Those are the origins of disease. So like, even if it's not yet to that point, right. The places where, whether it is through a physical fitness coach or whether it's through just getting more responsible for your diet or working with a life coach or a therapist to start to mitigate how we manage our stress. There's big things coming into play. Now we're starting to learn more about balancing parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems and heart rate variability, which I'm actually really grateful for. Like all these wearable devices have started bringing those language, that language forward. And that's been work that the heart math Institute has been doing for 30, 40 years. It's now becoming mainstream as an indicator of our body starting to lose its ability to regulate itself, which is the very beginning of the origins of more chronic illness that come on later. Yeah, exactly. All of that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. Well, I would love to talk with you more and I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm all about people need to become it's, there's so much, we can become so much more empowered with our own healthcare. And so seeking that health. Yeah. Yeah. And they will be able to look you up and you've got online courses and programs that you have, and you've worked with both, you know, patients and training practitioners in this work, which I'm super grateful for and look forward to learning even more from you. We'll have all of those links in the show notes of this episode on my website, sarahmarshallnd.com. And you can stay connected to Dr. Jenny Tafinkian. And she's got a killer newsletter, which is where this came from to keep tabs on her. And I do really appreciate your authenticity, even in your newsletters, you always just, it's like talking to a friend and then getting cool tidbits of information, which I appreciate the relational aspect and how you share yourself in, you know, the work that you do. So thank you for doing it and making a difference in people's lives. Thank you. That means so much. Thanks, Sarah. You bet. It's so great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you to today's guest, Dr. Jenny Tafinkian, for her kindness and wisdom. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.